it's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ring RFC. I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks man. How are you? Good, good, good. All present and correct. Happy International Women's Day. Indeed, same to you. Same to you. I don't know why we're wishing each other Happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day to all of our women listeners. <laughs> Two men centering themselves. I know, right? About, oh, no. oh, wow. Oh, no. Sorry. Typical, typical oh, no. dude just oh, no. hijacking International Women's Day. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, but how are you keeping? Are you good? Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, hanging in there. You? Yes, uh, a lovely weekend. Cooked some nice food. Didn't do really anything. Um, went for a bit of a wander and watched some football. Well, there you go. I know, I know. Just it's trying out this new downtime thing. Seems to suit me, actually. Yeah? Yeah, I quite like it. Yeah, I quite like it. If you get used to it. Won't be allowed to get used to it, but I could get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I could get used to this. We hope everyone's staying safe and well, first of all. Second of all, some admin, ringer.com forward slash soccer. I had a piece go up about Jal Felix last Great week piece. on Friday. Thanks, dude. Don't forget, you can listen to our outros playlist on Spotify. Search for Stadio Outros. All the music we play out with each episode is on there. Newest one at the top. And also, if you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. Be very kind. Any other admin? I think that's it for now. Nice. Um, so today... We're going to start with a roundup of the Women's Super League, France Bundesliga, touch on a little bit of Primera in France. PSG and Lyon weren't in action this weekend, so it's as you were at the top. There were just three games in France this weekend for the teams who needed to make up games. And then we will talk about, then we'll do the Manchester Derby in the Premier League. We will do Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. We will chat about the Madrid Derby in Spain and also about Stevie G, Rangers, winning their first title in 10 years. It's a lot of Derby energy, wasn't there, this week? Like Derby-type encounters. Yeah, Derby slash Classico-y yeah, yeah. vibes. So I recommend, let's begin in England yeah. with the Women's Super League. Wins for the top four this weekend. 
So it's as you were at the top of the league. Where do you, where do you want to begin? Chelsea? Yeah, I think what's interesting about Chelsea is the attacking chemistry. So they beat West Ham 2-0. Mm. Uh, and I'm just really impressed by, we, we saw actually the opening minutes in the game against Atleti, the way that England and Kerr combined. And doing that again for Chelsea, I mean, that, that front three, to be honest, harder England and Kerr is, as, as Dev, and Kirby as well coming through, that's as devastating a strike force as you could imagine. And Kerr's opening goal, with that goal, I think she went ahead of Frank Kirby in the scoring stakes, which is, says a lot for both of them. There's a lot mm. for the work Kirby's doing. But also like Sam Kerr this season, I think has been really impressive in just as a forward, not necessarily just as a striker, but like the way that she brings players into games, unbelievable. The way she combines. The only mercy for West Ham was that Penel Harder didn't score, but did all the, other, all the other damage she could have done in the mm. match. Yeah, I found it was quite interesting that both goals were very similar and involving the same two players. So yeah, Beth England pulling wide and crossing for Sam Kerr to head in early on. Yeah. And then Sam Kerr doing very much the same just after half time for Beth England pulling wide. Lovely ball in, lovely header. It was two very, of, two very yeah. good. I mean, actually, I found the goals quite interesting from Chelsea's point of view because I think it proved how actually stubborn West Ham were. And right, right. They, they weren't so easy to break down, even though Chelsea scored early. I think the way that they, they didn't really slice them open. No. Like they have done teams this season in the, in the WSL. And it's, yeah, sorry. I think having to like pull wide and get balls into the box for both goals. I think this is just a thing that Chelsea is so, hmm, what's the word? It's kind of like, they just find new ways to beat you whenever you try and, whenever you think you've got solutions to stop what they have. And I think yeah. that's why I think they can do this even though we'll, t- we'll touch on Man City in a little bit, but even though there are other teams with firepower in the Super League, I think that this, as well as their talent and their really stacked squad, I think this is one of the things that sets them apart from the rest of the Super League is that they do have this almost like, <laughs> it's like I don't want to use a, a pandemic reference, but it is like variance. Yes, you know, yes, it is. You yeah, think you've yeah. got one covered and then an, an, a new problem emerges. And- That's exactly what they are. That's exact- no, it's really great because you look at like Man City and Arsenal, the common problem we've seen this year is when they're on, they can blow you away. People mm. have worked out what the gear is. They've worked out what Man City's thing is mm. and they've stopped them. And they've worked out what Arsenal's thing is and they stopped that too. Whereas Chelsea, if you flood that space in front of the back four, which normally works, if that, that works generally, I mean, City are working it out now, but when you generally flood the space from the back four against Arsenal and to lesser extent City, you can stop them. But Chelsea have just found, because they run at you from deep. Yeah. And they run at the heart of you. I mean, like Frank Kirby, the last two games when she starred, she's run at the centre. Mm. And I've been watching a lot of Iniesta highlights. I'm sorry, again, I know I spent a lot. Of, I know, oh, I'm sorry. This every episode, we know because you I, have. No, because it's, it's like a, a default. But like, the, the only is, thing you... Tell us is when you haven't been watching Iniesta highlights. Well, okay. Just assume that I've never mentioned Iniesta before on this podcast. Just walk with me. Are you going <laughs> to credit another take to someone else <laughs> of mine? Is that what you're going to do? It's the way that Guardiola always said the thing about Iniesta was he taught me to attack the centre-backs. I love this quote, like to run. He said, people didn't do that. And I was like, what do you mean? Then he said, you clock it. And Frank Kirby runs right at the guts. And it has this very disorientating effect you know, scattering the field. And, you know, to West Ham's credit, there's a couple of teams like that in the Women's Super League, actually, who they don't necessarily, um, they don't get big results. But if you look back over the course of the season and you don't win the league, you'll be like, yeah, that's where we came unstuck. Yeah, teams that aren't really going to challenge the top three or four, but they never really get hammered. Yeah, they'll teams no, that will No hurt pun you. intended, even though they'll West hurt. Ham are 
down the bottom. But if you look at like sides like they're ninth, they play 13 games, they've only conceded 24 goals. So they've got as good a defensive record as like Reading, who are a few places above them, and Everton, who are fifth, have only conceded two goals less. So it can be like that, I think. I think Birmingham, City, and Brighton are a prime example as well. About yeah, great example, Brighton. Yeah. Can be really, really tricky to break down. Everton as well. Like we'll touch on those those teams in a minute, I'm sure. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, just another really impressive win for Chelsea in terms of you would expect them to beat West Ham and you probably would have expected them to put a few more past them. But I think all things considered, they just need to keep winning games. They've got Everton next. Mm. And obviously they're in the Champions League still. They had that thriller against Atleti last week. Great game. I think what we were saying before about their ability to figure out new ways to hurt teams is something that will give them the best chance of winning the Champions League I think right agreed agreed I think, yeah I mean I I think Barcelona will be tricky PSG and Lyon will be tricky I think those are I maybe Bayern as well however Bayern untested though mm, it could go anywhere I, don't, I, don't, I, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's those I think it's those those four that I mentioned PSG Lyon uh, Barcelona and Chelsea I think are the main four As they, they can avoid, if yeah. they can avoid every, if they can avoid each other then that's the thing and maybe we'll touch on the frown Bundesliga in a minute but like um, yeah yeah absolutely. But I think Chelsea I think are probably emerging as the team well they're definitely one of but maybe even the team I think they are because the they've Champions been League. they've been tested in the greatest variety of ways we've seen mm. it in Champions Leagues before the Bundesliga last year was just strong enough for Bayern to face every kind of challenge before they went into the main tournament. Because Bayern had that terrible moment before, you know, people forget it now a lot of the time, but at that terrible autumn, Bayern, right? Mm. Had to work through a lot of things. And generally speaking, teams that win the Champions League have been road tested thoroughly at home. It, we saw mm. it in Manchester United, like the men's, the men's game in 2000. They were winning things very easily. They won a game, I think, 7-1 before they played against Real Madrid and they just got cleaned out. And Chelsea have received in the best possible way, they've kind of had a bloody nose in the, in the, in the uh, Women's Super League and they've had that in the, the game against Atleti as well. Mm. Whereas, you know, you look at Bayern, they've won every game in the Fran Bundesliga so far. Have they, have they struggled? Have they, have they been like, you know, 2-0 down with 20 to go? No. Have they had that, you know, a, a player down? Like Sophie Ingle getting sent off against Atleti. Mm. What, how much money would you have got if you put five pounds on Sophie Ingle being sent off in the first 10 minutes of a Champions League match? You would have, mm. They would have laughed at you. Mm. The most, one of the most reliable players. And Chelsea, they handled that. Mm. And if they, look, if they do win again, that'll be a moment they look back at that game against Atleti. There's a great match report actually by Susie Rack yeah, yeah, the Guardian. Yeah. It was funny because you look at that scoreline and like, you don't look twice at it, but then you look at the actual match report. And this is like, what's that Louis Armstrong song? Hells are popping. <laughs> everything, everything that could happen in that, as Murphy's match, everything that could have happened in that game happened in that game. So yeah, I think that Chelsea, um, they've been battle tested in a way that no one else has. Mm. Uh, Man City scraped through against Everton a late winner from Kira Walsh which was a lovely goal actually yes squared back side foot into the corner Kira um, Walsh best player in the cup final as well actually against them I thought the late win over Everton when they, when they really like how Kira Walsh was amazing from the base of midfield so it was funny to watch her pop up again Everton just a quick shout for them they've kind of not been found out that's not fair the squad depth has really come for them I think we said this though like Everton's don't have the, the bodies that the other teams mm. do and there's never going to be much in it at their best against top teams mm. 
Yeah, I mean, Everton are also without Jill Scott, obviously, because she's on loan from Manchester City, so she couldn't play, which was a shame. I mean, Everton, I don't think anyone would have really expected to be in the conversation for the top four, but to be honest, I'm not sure Manchester United were in the conversation before the season to be in the top three, really, because it was only their second season in the, in the Super League. So I think Everton are kind of where they should be. I think yeah, where they yeah. would expect to be, you know, and they can they can push teams far, but I think ultimately, you know, you look at the talent that Manchester City have got. You know, they took off Sam Mewis and brought on Rose Lavelle in midfield. You know, they took off Ellen White and brought on Georgia Stanway, and they take off Caroline Weir and bring on Laura Coombs. So it's like the the They've strength got like that one they have and a half is 11, just, yeah, like potentially even two. Really, mm. were they absolutely amazing? No, but they don't they don't need to be occasionally. I think for them, it's just about winning and keeping the pressure on the top. Well, on Chelsea, really, because they're just two points behind Chelsea now. And if you think rhythm, how they, they started yeah. the season, they were really struggling for the first three or four games. I mean, since then, they've been lights out, really. They've, I they've, think that's, it's easy to underestimate how hard it is for chemistry to come because they were, I think they drew against, was it Brighton? They drew one all? Mm-hmm. Uh, or it was a, a draw against Brighton. And you could see in that game that all the passing was there. Mm-hmm. All of the kind of the ideas were there, but just there wasn't the final level of the chemistry. And it just takes a while for that. And they did. They had a lot of new players to incorporate mm. or a lot of new combinations to work on. Um, but yeah, they've clicked into gear now. They mm. really look quite, quite impressive. Uh, you mentioned Brighton there. They had a 2-0 win over Spurs with two lovely goals from Inessa Kagman. Uh, if you haven't seen those goals, go and check them out. You can see them actually, for anyone who can't find places to watch the Women's Super League, if you follow the Women's Super League account, yeah, it's Barclays FAWSL on Twitter. They post a lot of clips of the goals. So if you just want to keep, in, keep up to date with the scores and the goals, I mean, the games aren't being broadcast in your country. They're on the FA player, which is free to watch and stream. But yeah, another good win for Brighton. I hope Powell's doing a great job there. Manchester United won 3-0 over Villa. Yep. I love Katie Zellum's goal. The third was lovely. She's one of my favourite players, actually, I would say. Oh, she's a G, man. And she was there from like, she's come, I mean, she was at Juve before she moved to United in the championship and then came up with United. I thought it was a really, just a bold move. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, Kirsty Hansen opened the score and Jess Sigworth got the second and then Katie Zellum. They're still six points ahead of Arsenal who have got a game in hand. Arsenal beat Birmingham away 4-0. Two goals in two minutes for Caitlin Ford in the first half and then Viv Miedemar. Viv hit the post and had a couple of opportunities that she could have scored and then she scored probably probably the goal of the weekend where throw in on the right hand uh, on the left hand side gets the ball on the kind of left-hand edge of the box, backs into the defender. It was almost like a post-up move, actually. And then she just, <laughs> oh, I uh, like that. I like that. Yeah. And then she um, kind of turns, cuts inside, and then hits it near post. Keeper got a parry on it, but it went in. Um, wasn't quite an angry goal. It showed potential to be an angry goal. <laughs> it showed quite, like yeah. it was shaping up to be an angry goal, but it wasn't. That's only their second win in the last five in the league. Um, two in a row, though, after beating Villa. So much needed win to keep pressure on the top and obviously this season is uh, there are three Champions League spots up for grabs for the first time so it's massively important for Arsenal to keep pressure if they win the game in hand they go three points behind United and yeah it's going to be that top four is going to be extremely tight let's touch on the Primera super quick because Barcelona won again this weekend to extend their run of 18 straight wins to open the season which is frankly wild they keep extending the record that they've already broken uh, they beat Santa Teresa 3-0 away. They're looking really good, Barca. Extremely good. This is Barca at the moment who 
They've been bringing Leaky Martins off the bench. That's how stacked they are at the moment. Do you, I wonder if that run they had last year was a good dress rehearsal for this year's Champions League. Mm. You know, like I they had so. that. Does that make sense? Because they, mm. they had a run where I suppose finishing let them down in the late stages. And now they've come back with a bit of a vengeance. They're really leaving nothing to chance this year in the league, at least. I wonder if that's Yeah, and they're the closing the gap. You know, you look at Atleti yeah. and Atleti were the side to be. We mention this all the time when we talk about Primera. So I don't want to re- like re- reiterate the same stuff. But, yeah. you know, actually, I mean, Atleti had a good win on the weekend. They beat Real Betis 4-0 away. But the gap that Barcelona have opened on everyone at the top of the league is frankly, I mean, it's, it's wild. They are seven points clear with three games in hand. In 18 games, they've scored 90, conceded three. Levante is second, Real Madrid are third. Barca win their three games in hand, they go to what, 63 points. That's a 16-point lead at the top. But you just cannot see anyone beating them in the Primera at the moment. And to the Frauen Bundesliga, Turbina lost to Leverkusen on Friday 4-2. It was a bit of a poor result, that, for Turbina. It meant that Leverkusen went above them in the league. Although Turbina do have a game in hand, they can climb back above them. Uh, another win for Bayern. They beat Freiburg 5-1 on Sunday. They're on course for their first title in five years, which will be, I think, a little bit worrying, actually, for the rest of the Bundesliga, because with the shifts that Wolfsburg have had over the last year, I think mm. that, I mean, they beat Meppen 4-0 on the weekend, so they've, they've still got it. But um, the Pajor's back from injury as well, which is big yeah, for them. I mean, that's huge for them, because she, yeah. I mean, she's, so, she's such a key component to that side. Yeah. Um, Alex Pop back as well, and scoring, and playing well. They just need to really just keep pressure on Bayern at the top. I mean, the gap isn't gigantic. It's five points. And I think the two still have to play each other again. The, 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 only, the only slight concern, and actually shout out to Jasmine Schreimler, who's doing a great job covering Oh yeah, she's the, yeah. she's the Wolfsburg Don. Yeah. Um, what's interesting with, with the Wolfsburg maybe is in terms of, they may be caught slightly between two stools. They've got like mm. an aging, the, the upper end of that squad is a little bit older now. And they're relying a lot more on Lena Oberdorf than I thought they would be. Brilliant mm. player, like prodigy. But at the same time, I'm slightly surprised. So the slight concern for Wolfsburg is while they're rebuilding to an extent, Bayern might stretch that gap a little bit in the short term. Mm-hmm. Not insurmountable, but it's just something to keep an eye on, I think, for them. Something else to keep an eye on is May the 9th. That's when Wolfsburg play Bayern in the league. That could be an absolutely huge game. Imagine if there are actually um, people allowed back in. No. I know. Bayern are five points clear at the top. And then. There is a nine-point gap from Wolfsburg over Hoffenheim, who are in third in the final Champions League spot. Uh, let's take a break and then let's decide where we go next. Indeed. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, man, where do you want to go now? Do you want to go to the motherland, the finest city on earth? Yes, let's do it. God's own country. All right, Manchester Derby. Here we go. (laughs) Let's get in there. I'm going to give this a very dispassionate analysis. Okay. Manchester City, nil. Manchester United, two. Is that it? <laughs> uh, I was extremely impressed by what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did here. I was really impressed by this. Now, the team that he named wasn't particularly surprising. 
Freddie McTominay anchoring the midfield. Well, at least in theory, lots of legs there. Spiritually. Yes, yes. And Daniel James pressing really well high up. Martial as the nine. And it was funny because this game was, this result was not a surprise in a weird kind of way. There's a lot of things why I say, there's a lot of reasons why I say that. So first of all, City have been on an incredible run, right? Mm. Like a run that intense is something. And when you're on a run that long, you're accustomed to having things your own way and having the ball high up the pitch. And I'm not saying City were cocker, they weren't. They, just, they played some beautiful football and Dean Henderson was excellent. The United goal really had authority. But when you've been on a winning streak that long and you've been that high up the pitch that long, it does leave you open to the counter. And if you're playing against one of the best counter-tracking teams on their day in Europe, you'll get hurt. And that's how they got hurt. And also what didn't help them, to be fair to City as well, there was no legislating for the mishap, that bad tackle by Gabriel Jesus in the opening two minutes. Big striker defending in the box energy. Fernandez needed no uh, invitation, scored that. And then, of course, United had it where they wanted it. And they could play it basically as a kind of Champions League away leg and just sit on the counter. And City played some great stuff. Great combination yeah, play. Yeah. And weirdly enough, this is almost, you know, it happened in the NBA, actually. Remember, when that, was it the Rockets, one of that massive winning streak, when they won, like, I think, 20 straight. And actually, at a certain point, the winning streak becomes a distraction. Mm. I think there are times, especially towards the end of the season, when we're chasing multiple trophies, where this, this winning streak is more bother than it's worth. And the only thing that might really annoy Guardiola is, maybe I just wish it wasn't United. But fundamentally, nothing really for City to bother about with this because they're still, you know, that far ahead. They're still like cruise control for the league. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, they're 11 points clear now with playing the same games as everyone below them apart from Chelsea yeah. and Everton and Spurs, if you want to go that deep. But Spurs are 20, 20 points below them. Right. They're 20 points behind them. Same, same as West Ham. So, I mean, I mean, say Leicester. Leicester are 12 points behind in third. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing is, though, there are a couple of points that I, I thought about this game. I mean, first of all, Manchester United have got quite a good record against Man City in the league in recent years. I mean, they lost yeah, yeah. in 2019. But apart from that, they've, they've actually had a pretty good... I mean, Solskjaer has had a pretty good record against City in the league. Yeah, yeah. They've actually been okay. And I think yeah. this is... Um, this is just one of the things about derbies. Like, I know it's difficult to treat derbies like derbies when fans aren't there. And to be honest, they don't really feel like derbies. But well, some might argue that they're not derbies unless fans are there, which I totally agree with as well. But it happened for years in the North London derby, for example. And, there's, and it happened for years. You could see it in the Barcelona derby, for example. Sometimes Espanyol would just cause an upset and the gap in quality was so big. It doesn't, I'm not saying that the gap in quality is so gigantic between Manchester United and Manchester City as it is between, say, yeah. the worst Spurs sides when Arsenal were absolutely unbelievable or Chelsea against Fulham sometimes. No disrespect to any, any of those sides, obviously. I know you have to say that in football terms. But, you know, this is top of the league against second in the league. This isn't top of the league against bottom of the league. Yeah. So it just struck me as one of those results where, like, everyone is going to draw sweeping conclusions from this mm. but actually I think it works out best for both of them yeah I think so I think so it removes all the talk about the run which Pep yep. doesn't really want yeah Pep's pretty pretty cool with stuff like this I think he he said uh, did you see the thing he did with Rio Ferdinand recently on BT Sport where he was yeah, just like that was excellent sometimes you lose football matches sometimes you know 
if we, you know, the problem that we had last season, Manchester City, you were saying that we would gift, we, we would gift people goals, you know, be like, hey, have a goal, have a goal. But sometimes, yeah. you know, opponents do some really good football and they score a goal and we have to congratulate them. And I think there was both of those things at play here. I think obviously the mistake led to the first goal, the penalty. Edison almost kept it out. Yeah. But, you know, the second one was good football. It was a great goal from Luke Shaw, who I'm glad is now kind of being finally accepted as a, as a, as a player worthy of playing left back for Manchester United because I think he's had a really good season. Yep, yep, excellent. Manchester City now reset their winning run, which I think was becoming a little bit of a distraction. Yes. Because when you start chasing down a record for like all-time wins and when anything becomes all-time, it adds more weight to it than it deserves. Because the as you are seeing, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. As you're seeing on the opposite side of that with Liverpool, which we'll probably touch on in a minute, I think that when things become all-time or... You know, people get a little bit caught up in that because maybe it's never happened before and things like that. But however, first of all, again, another caveat, the season is super weird anyway and you're trying to analyse it through traditional means and you, we can't. Yeah. But a massive win for Manchester United that they really needed because they were kind of on a bit of a wobble at the top of the league, I thought. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. They see Chelsea pushing into the top four, game in hand, could close the gap to four points over United. Yeah. If they hadn't won that game and they were still on 51 points, that top four was looking a little bit precarious, more so than it would have been. No one wants to lose a derby ever. We know this, but I think stepping back and looking at, looking at it in the context of what's at stake this season for Manchester City, you know, they're on for, what, a quadruple? Yeah. And if, if they're, <laughs> they're looking the most complete, one of the most complete sides in Europe and definitely the most complete side in the Premier League and a 2-0 defeat at home in a derby isn't going to change that. However, for Manchester United, it's a massive morale boost. and something, victory. So it's kind of one of those things where I think that it's not dreadful for either side. No, it's not really. No, you're completely, you're completely right. And it allows United some breathing space. You're quite right. Lots of praise for Martial. I was a bit more critical of Martial than most. A lot of people like a lot of credit for his, um, his hold-up play, his movement. I'm a little bit harsher. I just feel like, yeah, but give us the goals. I just feel like he, there's more. I just feel there's more. You know, that there are players from whom... It's like Dembele at Barcelona as well. When you know that they have the extra gear, you want to see it because you know that that extra gear makes life easier for everybody. Like Martial mm. should be a lights out. At his peak, Martial could be a lights out 25, 30 goal a season player. He has the skill set for it. But the question is whether the head is there for it. Mm. I don't mean the head as he doesn't care. I mean the head as in that ruthless, you know, the ruthlessness you saw in Lewandowski. Mm-hmm. You need that. He has the skill set. It's just he needs that extra. Yeah. He needs to go for the go for the head. One thing I found interesting about this game was the statistical breakdown because obviously Man City had way more chances, way more shots, way more of the ball. But fewer expected goals. On a side note, I've been really enjoying Duncan Alexander's expected goals sarcastic tweets recently. So they are funny. so amazing. The, like Brighton, the, Brighton Pier, the Brighton Pier one. <laughs> Duncan Alexander is one of the low-key funniest people on Twitter in football yeah. Twitter because it's so disguised a lot of it and if yeah it's genius yeah. if you're not if you're not into the context of what he's saying it's quite easy to miss it but there's some stuff that he was going down the other day like I think he was talking about yeah the Brighton Palace game he was like oh if only there was some kind of like I'm paraphrasing it was like oh if there was only some kind of metric that could <laughs> could display Brighton's dominance in an attacking sense but hey, it doesn't matter. We've got goals. That's all that matters. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's so clever. 
<laughs> so, and he, he will be, he, it's almost like his, he's really clever at um, framing conversations about stats in football mm. in ways that realize that we are being nonsensical to ignore them. Like he'll never say, he'll never say, pay attention to the stats. They're really useful. The underlying data is really good. He finds a really funny way of doing it. His Twitter is at Oily Sailor for those who don't follow him. And actually Duncan, shout out to him because he's one of the first people that helped me out in my career. Mm. When I was writing Culture Left Foot, I went to Opta and I was like, I'd like some stats on this and this if you've got them. And they just rolled out the red carpet basically and they helped so much. Um, he was amazing. Yeah, he's helped me out a few times yeah. with stats for pieces as well. Like very specific ones as well. Like I hit him yeah. up when I did the Ozil piece about saying, Duncan, is there any chance I could have Ozil's like chances created, expected assists for his seasons at Arsenal compared to the league leader that season? And he just gave me all of it. It was just like amazing. And they have, he has so much time yeah. for people. Yeah, no. Yeah, very Duncan's good. Gonna, five, why have I got 500 emails from people? Oh yeah, shit. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Duncan. He's very busy though. So sometimes he doesn't respond. <laughs> oh shit. Um, <laughs> Okay, so where else would you like to go in the Premier League? Should we talk about Liverpool? Liverpool, yeah, we have to talk about Liverpool. I think we have to. It was five straight defeats at home for the first time in their history. It's now six. Yeah, but the team, the lineup that Liverpool chose, I mean, you look at the players, the team they put out, not only was it vastly weakened from their peak, it's also a team that doesn't have much chemistry. And there was a bit of punditry afterwards discussing, Graham Souness was talking about like, big players showing up and I was like, mm. oh, that's cliche nonsense. I'm yeah, sorry. Like, this is the thing. So whenever I discuss Liverpool, if there was ever a season that had an asterisk next to it. Yeah, I know, club, I know. This is an asterisk yeah. and people, not, people might listen and be like, oh, you're a United fan. I don't really mean that. I do. It's like, this is not, you see that lineup. That is not anything close to Liverpool's strength. Actually, shout out to uh, Grace uh, Robertson at Grace on Football. Excellent newsletter on Liverpool's challenges this year. We need to stop shouting out, Grace. You get to shout out every episode. Okay. Sorry, Grace. That's it. Well, no more shout outs till 2028. Grace, ah, we're, charging, ah. we're charging for shout outs Exactly. Now. Sponsored content. <laughs> um, no, look, but shout out to Fulham because they were really so good. Alamodo Lookman, ever since he missed that penalty, that last minute penalty against, was it West Ham? Mm. He's just been on a real tear ever since then. And Existential penalty. Turning yeah, Scott, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott Parker has got them showing so much spirit. Now they've still got um, a bit of a way to go for them. Dressed like my dearly departed Nan when she used to go down the <laughs> shops though. I did tweet. Just the layers, man. The layers like, you know when like, you know when, you gra- when your Nan will put an extra sweater on a jacket that doesn't quite fit with the extra layer. And she's, <laughs> she's very, you know, she's all packed in. Scott Parker yes. was all very, very packed in. He was Squidged into that jacket. It did feel like he wore everything, didn't it? Yeah, it's like that episode of Friends where, uh, was it like Joey wears everything in Chandler's wardrobe? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, very much, very much. Just shout out friends on the one. There we go, get it on this podcast, don't you? Musa, I'll be there for you. Fulham are the winner from Lamina and very resilient. Actually, they look quite good. In, I think it was one all. They've taken four points of Liverpool this year. Yeah. Yeah, and they were really good in the one all as well, actually, and they look good value for a win there. So I guess they, they finished the job. But yeah, I mean, what can you say about Liverpool? I, they're going to struggle for the top four. We said this before. Yeah, but just write the season off. We talk, I mean, we've right. spoken about this before. We've done tweets about it. We've done threads about it. The pair of us, we spoke about it on the podcast. I'm going to just, I retweeted something Jonathan Harding said where he's echoed the thoughts that you and I have had in private and stuff we've said in public. 
I humbly think the situation at Liverpool is natural. A lot of injuries, grief, Klopp's demanding style to play, uh, style of play, all factors. Also, the emotional messaging that unites a team slash community inevitably fades when success is achieved. Passion like that is not sustainable. Equals alters performance. So, what Liverpool really desperately needed this year, and I know everyone needed it, but I think a lot of what's happening at Liverpool. I was talking to my friend Ash. Shouts to Ash in Tbilisi. He sent me a message saying, do you have any tips of how to cope for this this season? Because he's a Liverpool fan. And I said, well, to be honest, they're all going through the same stuff we're all going through. Yes, they have very different means and they're very wealthy, but they're still human beings and they're still going through a lot of the stuff. You saw it with Illichich. We mentioned it, that, that how, yeah. how the pandemic affected Illichich. Yeah. How lonely a football pitch can be when there aren't any fans there to galvanise you. Mm. you know, this is where fans, and especially at a place like Anfield, yeah, are so important where they provide that extra boost when you're going through a bit of a run. Like, you know for a fact that if Liverpool were on this run with full stadiums, that Anfield crowd would be galvanising them and probably aiding them to overcome it, right? Yeah. But when there isn't anything there and you can hear a pin drop in a stadium and you're on a you're on a poor run of form. And to be honest, a load of them probably don't want to even be there. And that's not, I'm not aiming that at Liverpool specifically. You said it on the podcast. You know, I wonder how many of them are just like, why the fuck are we actually here? Mm. Klopp's mother died a couple of months ago. He wasn't able to go to her, fu- her funeral. He wasn't able to see his family and be around his family and grieve the loss of his mother. You have no idea how all of this can combine together to create a situation that actually, this is their job. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, they're doing they're they're doing it to the best of the to the best of their ability at the moment. But they are also physically and emotionally drained. Yeah, and it's and it can be so. I I I imagine it's even harder to get out of that cycle. We mentioned on this podcast and we mentioned it on Writers House before the analogy of being kind of like trapped in a current, and that's what they are at the moment. They're in this kind of like they're trapped in a current, and as soon as it breaks, it'll break, and they'll be fine. You know, they'll they'll over they will overcome it. They will be back stronger next season, I think. The one thing that I would say from a Liverpool point of view is that I really hope that, it seems weird them saying this now after they've just had a really good win on the weekend, but I really hope that they, they cast an eye at Spurs and use it as a cautionary tale. Because for years, Liverpool were looking for a manager who got the club, got the city like Klopp did, took them back to the quote-unquote promised land. I mean, a European Cup and, a, and a, the first league title in 30 years in the space of back-to-back seasons. Incredible. Dealing with what they've had to go through this season. I just, I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I'm, I have no insight into the inner workings of the football club and I'm sure there are people out there who do more, way more so. So I don't even know if they're thinking about this, but I desperately hope that they don't do something silly at executive level here. Like Klopp right. is a special guy. Klopp is, Klopp is like a very, very special manager. Yes. And what he has done for the football club, what he's done for the community in Liverpool, I think the way that he has got the city this season just needs to be written off from Liverpool's point of view. And they, we, and they need to regroup, rest, rest more than anything. Yes. And hopefully they can recharge, rebuild and come back next year and put main, you know, mount a title challenge again. Because it's like you've said, I think a couple of times on here, like, Teams have come at them like they've come at no other teams over the last couple of years. And, and in a similar way to how 
it happened to Spurs. Like a lot of teams came at Spurs for that way. And Spurs couldn't maintain it in the way that Liverpool did. And now Absolutely right. Liverpool have done it over a longer period of time, I think for a more sustained amount of time. And they've finally just reached a little bit of a breaking point, which I think, all things considered, is more than understandable. Yeah, I completely It agree. sucks. It completely sucks from a fan's point of view, but also it's like, it's like I said, you know, at the beginning of this point, I've rambled on for, for ages about, they're all going through the same shit that we're going through as well. But they also put themselves in the position where we get to analyse their performance each week and that must suck. Totally, totally. Especially when you hear the punditry behaving as if it's just a couple of absentees or people don't fancy it anymore. That to me felt really dishonest watching some of that punditry and just going like, yeah, but these players aren't even anywhere near the dressing room. Yeah, and also if I hear one more bit of like Tiago is, is rubbish stuff, I'm just... Yeah, right, just glaze over. Mute and block. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, from a Fulham perspective, they are now level on points with Brighton in the league. Brighton and Newcastle above them both have games in hand. But they've put themselves in a huge position to stay up. Yeah, yeah, they really have. And Scott Parker's doing a really good job, man. He's doing a really good job. I think considering where they were at the beginning of the season, I think that the fact that they're even in this kind of position is pretty impressive. I mean, in the last you, five games, only, yeah, in the last five games, the only game they've lost is against Spurs. They got City at home next. Who knows, man? Who knows? It's yeah. getting very tight down the bottom of the Premier League. Anywhere else you want to go in the Premier League? Anything else you want to touch on? No, I think we're good. Just very quickly mention Spurs um, over Crystal Palace. Just very impressive from Harry Kane. Yeah, lovely win. Glorious performance and great combination with Gareth Bale. That's nice to see. So great to see Spurs greats old and new doing the business. That was impressive. Old, new and kind of new again. We need to shout out Kane and, Kane and Son, I think, have combined for more goals this season than any other duo in, prem, in the Premier League history. So oh, I love that. That deserves props for sure. I love that. Especially in um, the season that everyone I think has been probably overwhelmingly disappointing for Spurs, but it's three wins in a row now and they go into the North London derby on a pretty good run of form after that yep. really, really patchy run of form. Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to the North London derby. Can I say this as well while I'm here? Shout out to Arsenal. My sympathies for not getting that penalty against Burnley. I don't know what was going on there. I know it's like it's a, a talking point that's been covered exhaustively elsewhere, but just to throw my hat in and be like, I don't get that. That, that to me was a really... That, that, was not, that was a suboptimal decision. I don't want to like pile on referees and officials. I just thought, yeah, that wasn't, um, that's one of those ones you rewatch it. You're like, yeah, we weren't, we didn't have our best day there. Um, so I read you the tweet I wrote at the time. Please. I actually typoed it. I hate it when that happens. When you write, when you write a good tweet and there's a typo in it. I've been doing that a lot recently. If AI has done one thing, it's killed my ability to actually care anymore. <laughs> it's actually quite freeing, accepting you know nothing about something you thought you once understood. That is my opinion on it. Embrace the Zen. And just let the decisions wash freely over you. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been a penalty. I don't understand why it wasn't. And yeah. I will probably be saying the same thing next week. Quick shout for Southampton who broke their run. They will beat Sheffield United 2 0. Shout for Leicester coming from behind to beat Brighton, who are on a tricky, tricky run of form at the moment. However, the worrying thing for Brighton this time is that they did not win the XG war. You're not winning that. That was the real quiz. Exactly. Anyway, let's take another break. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. 
Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Let's go to the Bundesliga. Huge game this weekend and everyone was glued to it. Schalke Mines, Friday night, nil-nil. <laughs> Such a troll. You got me, you got me. <laughs> My sympathies with anyone who decided to watch. Was it Mark Wallace? Mark Wallace sent us a ready. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Mark was like, did you subject yourself to this? We didn't. The thing that we've <laughs> done, like we are, we are basically state propaganda for the Bundesliga. And the problem <laughs> that we've got is that I think we have convinced a lot of people to watch games where they really shouldn't have been watching. Lars Sivitson was tweeting about it as well. Lars was just like, uh, you know, this was a real choice. This was a decision to watch uh, Schalke Mainz. I swerved it because I thought, A, <laughs> it's a Friday night. This can wait. <laughs> I, can't can wait. Catfished, I can't believe we catfished listeners into watching that. <laughs> this can wait. And also, if I'm being honest, 17th against 18th. Mark, on a you knew Friday what this night. was. You knew what this was. <laughs> yeah, shouts to Mark Wallace, longtime listener. And, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to you, Mark. We can only, oh, uh, no matter how old we get, we can all, we, all we can do is learn. Listen, every day is, was that every day is a school day? This podcast accepts no liability. <laughs> this, this podcast accepts no liability for lack of enjoyment sustained during football matches. <laughs> we recommend that you watch. <laughs> However, Hertha got their first win since they beat Schalke. Yeah, they did. I swear to God, if her to stay up, my goodness. Um, Luca Bacchio penalty. Yeah, Augsburg. To win the game. Augsburg are willing accomplices in that. Very, very quickly, Gladbach lost at home to Bayer Leverkusen, which wasn't a great game. Uh, disappointment Dar disappointment yeah. derby, if we're being oh, honest. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, there was, actually, Bundesliga was quite subdued this weekend on the whole. Eintracht drew to Stuttgart. That's a really good point for Stuttgart, by the way, who, again, are continuing to impress. Like, if you have no no emotional investment of a Bundesliga in, into any Bundesliga club. I would really watch Stuttgart this season. They're, they're, they are so much more fun than they were, this, obviously, the season that they went down a couple of years ago. Since Sven Mislintat has come in, the recruitment's been amazing. Pellegrino Matarazzo was a really good hire. He's, he's such a good dude as well. He just comes across like a really nice guy. And um, just really great to see them already 
kind of solidifying themselves again as a Bundesliga club. I mean, they were in it for a long time, like we mentioned on the last podcast, I do believe. You know, they were fairly recent Bundesliga winners. Sammy Kadira. 07, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sammy Kadira. Sammy Kadira era. Yeah. Sammy Kadira era. I like there that. There we go. Um, that's like a really good band. It does, yeah. Oh, have you heard of this band, like Sammy Kadira era? They're like, uh, they're kind it's of like on the- energy. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of like, you know, on the, I, th- I don't know. They sound a bit shoegazy. I like that. It's got quite some Leonard Skinner vibes as well. <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's take dad to the Bayern Munich <laughs> Borussia wow, Dortmund wow, game, wow. which was, I thought, a, a game of one quarter and three quarters. And actually, can I just say, right, let me leap in there. I know you've got similar feelings on this. Leaping in very early, the absentees for Dortmund yeah. was, such, was such a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I was seeing like, com- like people absolutely tearing Dortmund apart for mentality and this and that and the other. And I was just like, man, they've lost like, they, ha- they were there without two of their best players this season. Like Guerrero has probably been their player of the season. Sancho is definitely in their top three or four. You know, Sancho, Haaland, Guerrero, and to be honest, I think even in, maybe not for the whole season, but recently, even though he had a bit of a wobble on the weekend, but like Moda Hood has been brilliant as well. Yeah, yeah. Marco Royce is having probably one of the best seasons he's had for a long time because he's maintained fitness, I think. But still, like Sancho and Guerrero, especially the way that they combined down that left-hand side, that was a gigantic miss for Dortmund. Especially in retaining like uh, a lead. Yeah, if you'd this have is that, it. Yeah, this exactly. is the thing. Like Dortmund raced right. to a two goal lead from two goals from Holland, and they had one chance. Like Mounier had a chance to square it for Holland to make it three nil, and really badly underhit the pass. A few seconds later, Bayern scored, and I think that that was the turning point. And I, there's some someone on Twitter said like, "Oh yeah, but Bayern would have won four three it wouldn't have really mattered. And I was like, well, no, because disagree, it changes the disagree. whole game state for a start. Disagree, because if yeah. you score the third, the first goal doesn't happen. Maybe they do score, they, maybe they still score two goals anyway in the first half, but they're not going to be those two goals because literally the way that the patterns of play move from, from the Munier thing being a goal, you cannot go up the other end and score. But I think that the psychological thing of being 3-0 down that early on. Too much. And to be fair, I think Dortmund defended really well. The statistical breakdown would suggest that Bayern completely dominated and they kind of did after that chance for the third. However, I think Dortmund, and this is a factor that Dortmund have been, that has been crucial in Dortmund's kind of mini stabilisation, I think, over the last however long. I think probably since they lost to Gladbach. But they have actually been defending quite well. I think think Dortmund's defensive narrative is a little bit unfair. Particularly in this game, I mean, the, the concession of the penalty going to stroke of half time, obviously not ideal. How often have we seen a Lewandowski goal, a stroke of half time that fundamentally mm. alters the destination of a game? Mm. And I've said this before, but there almost needs to be a kind of 10 minute warning before half time where teams against Bayern adopt a completely different tactical plan because the statistical, the amount of goals they score like that. Mm. And what happens, of course, is Ryan, is the sheer concentration it requires to keep them out for 45 minutes. It's just mentally a lot of energy to keep out a team that good for that long. And I think we underestimate just how relentless they are and how relentless it is to have Bayern coming at you time and again, especially at home. 
And actually, I know it's an empty stadium, but they still have an aura. Even in that stadium, they have an aura. This is a wall of red coming at you. Yeah, I mean, um, this is. We, we, I think we said this before on the podcast about Bayern yeah. Dortmund is that a lot of it is kind of like it's learned behaviour. No, it's true. You look in the dressing room at Bayern and a ton of those people have got multiple, multiple like, Bundesliga titles. Yeah, Some of them, Champions there's people that have got five. Yeah, yeah. They've got like five Bundesliga titles, four or five at least, and the yeah. Champions League. And some won from 2013. Yeah. So and they've, been the around, they've been around the block twice. And they've been there for a, for a decade. Like, you know, and right. the thing, yeah. but the problem with Dortmund is that, you know, when Marco Royce goes off on the weekend, the captain's armband gets given to Mats Hummels, which is deeply unpopular with a number of Dortmund fans because of his switch to Bayern and switch back. I think also the problem with Hummels is that he hasn't been playing hugely well this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think he's washed by any means at all. I just think that, and I do think he can be quite a, He's a vastly experienced player and I think that he can be a real help to say someone like Emre Chan, even though I, I actually believe that Emre Chan is becoming one of the standout performers in that Borussia Dortmund side and a leader, like a real leader. I think, I think yeah, I think it's Chan. I think it's Chan Witzel. There's not much between them in terms of, I mean, yeah. it's Chan in terms Royce, of overall leadership. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chan, I love, I love Chan and Royce, I think are, a colossal Lucas Piszczek as well, obviously when he's fit, but he's yeah, not been fit for a while. Sure. But um, yeah. uh, but Emre Chan is is I think has been co- pretty colossal this season for for Dortmund, and he speaks after every game. Pretty much, he's interviewed after every game. And he speaks really well. He's very honest. He's very kind of fair in his analysis of the game and stuff like that. And um, I just I I think that I love that transfer so much. And yeah, yeah, likewise. I think Dortmund, in fairness, I think a lot of people are saying they got bullied on the weekend and stuff. I, I actually disagree. I think it, considering all of the circumstances, considering Haaland went off, I think considering they had a couple of decisions really go against them. I think they could have had a foul on Chan for, for the goal. I think they yeah. could have had a penalty shout as well, Dortmund. And Goretzka broke through late. He re- it was yeah. a late goal. Yeah, yeah. the third and, goal was late. Yeah, and um, also Haaland going off with injury. Boateng didn't get a card for it, which I thought was quite scandalous. I think they had a, uh, and like I said at, at the beginning, like they were without Sancho and Guerrero for the trip. So I think that all things considered, I don't think this is a, I don't think there's any, this is anything that de- deserves a huge amount of, um, like this happens. You can lose football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After going 2 0 up, that's the thing they'll be really disappointed about that they couldn't capitalize on that. The game management then at 2 0. Yeah. 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 It was a good win for, Bayern though because it was an important one because Leipzig had um, gone top of the Bundesliga before kickoff after their win in Freiburg. What a deeply popular title race we have in the Bundesliga between <laughs> Rasenballsport Leipzig and Bayern München. Yeah, it's not the most, uh, not one for the neutrals, is it? <laughs> not the two on for neutrals. Right, man. To Madrid. Yes, to Madrid. Oh my goodness. Oh, Atleti, Atleti, Atleti. What a good weekend for Barcelona, which we'll touch on shortly, I imagine. But On and off the field, yeah, yeah. Madrid derby, Atleti won, Real Madrid won. Um, Atleti taking the lead early, thanks to Luis Suarez. Lovely assist from Marcus Llorente, who apparently, I was chatting to Lee Roden about this, in Spain he's getting all the love, but outside of Spain, I still think he's hugely underappreciated. And has been yeah, one of I think the, so. I actually wrote in the Jao Felix piece that he's been a key component for Atleti this season and his positional flexibility as well as chipping in with goals and assists has been a really, really important factor for them this season. It's like a second Saul Niguez, isn't it? 
arguably, yeah. Atleti arguably have the two most versatile elite players in Spain. Yeah. Barcelona are now into second and are just three points behind Atleti, who still have that game in hand, obviously. Barca beat Osasuna 2-0, which I don't think really needs a huge amount of analysis because it was a game that you would probably expect them to win. Yeah, the only things that are really worth discussing, I think, from that are Messi's gorgeous assist for Alba and then Ilaix's goal assisted mm. by Messi. Oh, yeah, and good he was chat, so hyped about that. I know. It's so, it's so wholesome, his Twitter, how it started, how it's going. He was just a picture <laughs> of Messi. Uh, like, he loves playing with Messi. Messi loves playing with him. And he is a beautiful player. Mm. Um, he's a funny one too, because you first see him, you're like, oh, this guy's like, he's quite imposing. And then you see him play and he's completely, he's like, um, like a more mobile, well, not a more mobile Busquets, you know, he's not, no one is Busquets, but like, he's at the base, he can play from the base midfield, very technical, two-footed, and had the confidence to finish with his left, gorgeous strike. Mm-hmm. I, he, he's, a, he's another, re- another one of these really exciting players I didn't really know about until a few months ago, and it's just emerged. And at a time when Barcelona will be unable to spend money for long periods, they have a core of players they don't need to spend money on. Like they're yeah. brilliant. I mean, every couple of months, Araujo pops up, Ilaix pops up, Pedri pops up, and Sufati. And it's like, this team is going to do some really exciting stuff. Elena to come back next season. Oh my God, that's going to be so cool. You know, it's so funny. Elena's going to come back to that camp like Captain America came back with that beard. Oh, He's going to be like, yes. oh my God, Carlos, your voice is deeper in that beard and the when the aviator shades. Yeah, the nomad. Yeah. Carlos Alenia nomad. Where have you been? He puts his, takes a cigar off his mouth. Getafe. The things I've seen there. What happened? You wouldn't believe. <laughs> he just said, What happened? Bordalas happened. <laughs> so good. So good. Oh, man. Oh, so much fun. So much fun. When he rolls up at training on a chopper motorbike. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's different. Yeah, so, so Barcelona back in the mix uh, for other reasons we'll get to in a second off the field. But um, so Atleti, Real. Now, Atleti taking the lead and I really felt that Simeone was coaching this just right. Like they created some great chances, um, Atleti. But you just felt that it was a classic thing. I mean, actually, Spanish football podcast, shout out to them. Real get their lead, their lead equaliser through Benzema, Karen Benzema. And... They tweeted from the Spanish Football Podcast account, Sid Lowe said to us, this has last minute equaliser from Real written all over it. And it did. It did because yeah. they kept stretching Real, but they didn't put the game away. And they didn't, mm. miss, they didn't miss sitters, but there was a very good half chance. Carrasco, the ball gets cut back to the top of the box and he hits over the bar. And this will sound a little bit harsh, but the thing with Carrasco is, I always feel like Carrasco... I've, every time I watch him, like, you are one gear away from going supernova. That one that he put over, mm. I was like, a player of, you know, some might say it was a hard chance, but a player of his technical ability should score that. That's the thing that he, th- th- those are the kind of, um, I, I'm obsessed with the extra 15%. I talk about it all the time, but that's the difference, Ryan. Mm. That's what, um, that's what kind of, that's what Mo Salah scores. You know, Mo Salah went to bars and went lights out. That's the kind of phase he should be in and he's never quite there. And I know this sounds harsh, but it's, it's the difference between winning 2-0 and just putting Real symbolically out of this race by the shouting. And you saw the reaction of Marcos Llorente's face at the end. You saw it because they, 
him and Suarez in particular, they ran their guts out and they did everything pretty much right. Like Suarez, where he led the line, I, was, I said this on Twitter, like, what a great thing that Atleti have a player who is, who relishes facing Madrid. Mm-hmm. And you see that he lifts the entire front line. He lifts the entire attack. Thomas Lamar looked very happy again as that kind of option. And they bring on Joao Felix with 20 minutes to go. And you're thinking at that point. But then... Uh, this is the thing. I think a couple of things that I think Simeone got wrong here. I think he should have brought Joao Felix on earlier. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. actually disagree with him. I don't hate the fact that he started with him on the bench because he'd said pre-game that either Correa or Felix will start, but both of them will yeah. play. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't think that starting Joao Felix on the bench was a bad idea, especially because people forget he's still working his way back from COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder whether bringing him on a little bit earlier or later, actually. That sounds like a little bit of a kind of, a kind of but I think, I think the time that they brought him on, I think was kind of a little bit in the middle. I think if they'd mm-hmm. held on another 10 minutes and brought him on for a quarter of an hour, I think he could have done real damage to a tiring Real Madrid back four. Or you bring him on earlier and really go for it to get that second. Which he never would have done up. really. Knowing Simeone, that's not his style. But I think the actual thing that changed the momentum of the game was the Kong Dobia substitution. Uh, bringing on Condobia for Correa, I think, sent a message that just invited more pressure on Atleti. And I think that yeah. by then, because they haven't been so, like I wrote this in the piece, even though they've got the best defensive record in La Liga still, they haven't been absolute guaranteed shutouts at the back. You know, they conceded a load of goals recently that, that you just, an old Atleti side wouldn't have done. And they can't rely on those clean sheets as much as they can, as they used to do in the past. So I always wonder whether like maybe... <sighs> you know, maybe even bringing on Dembele might have been a better shout and kind of like defending from the front a little bit more and giving Real Madrid something more to think about because I think that, I think if Atleti had pushed on a a little bit further forward, I don't think Real Madrid would have kind of hit them on the counter, for example. I think Atleti Atleti would have dealt with that. I think the way that the goal happened was a little bit more static and that's when I think Atleti are a little bit vulnerable, especially to a side like Real Madrid with the psychological implications of a, of a derby. So I just yeah. think maybe actually trying to show up shop at 1-0 instead of actually maybe giving Real Madrid a little bit more extras to think of, something extra to think about in an attacking sense that late in the game, I think potentially, I mean, who am I to question Simeone's decision-making, but I think that knowing how vulnerable this Real Madrid side can be, I think maybe a more positive Symbolic. substitution as opposed to like, you know, a, a, a substitution that was going to invite pressure would have potentially been a little bit better for Real Madrid. Uh, for, Put it this for, way. For if, you, if, you, if you played this goal to peak Atleti's defence mm. as a DVD to watch back, they'd be like, my goodness, you let them walk right down the middle. Mm. Benzema and Casemiro walked down the middle of Atleti's mm. midfield. And that, that to me was the indictment. If you're going to get beaten by a goal, get beaten by something which just has Oblak unable to move because of its brilliance. And Oblak actually put in a shift himself. You know, an incredible double save from Benzema. At that point, you were like, oh, maybe they are going to do this. Mm. Maybe they are going to do this. And you could see psychologically, this is a very damaging point for Aletti, I think, psychologically. I think because it just allows all the old narratives to continue, mm-hmm. which frankly, actually, kind of fair. If you can't stop Real in this depleted condition, then you have to ask questions about your decisiveness. And I think to Simeone's in his defense, I think he feels the substitutions. You can tell that like, he's like, I didn't get these quite right. 
Like, mm. And you can tell, I've, I've got some sympathy because he is, as I think if you said before, he's caught between these two stools of trying to make, knowing he has to make Atleti more expensive, which he has managed to do to an extent, and still maintain the defensive solidity. But as we see in football, the margins are so small, Ryan. Like mm. one miscalculated substitution and that's it. So yeah. Anyway, listen, it's not all doom and gloom for Atleti. They're still top. Um, they're still the favourites for this. But Barcelona now are looking much more cohesive than they were before. They're looking like they can score goals, more assured. They've still got their challenges, but Barca are coming. I actually think that as it stands at the moment, I would actually say that Barca, I know it's obviously in terms of points, but I would actually say in terms of momentum, I think Barca are their main challenges now. I, mean, I would agree. I think, I I think, agree we, do, I think we do have a three-team for title race in La Liga. Yes. But um, Barca just seem to have clicked a little bit more. And they're, but they're never too far away from a little bit of an implosion, Barca, especially at the moment. But I think that yeah. all in all, it's set up for a really, really decent run-in in La Liga. As they say, we have a league. We have a league. We have league. The Barcelona presidential elections took place Sunday night and Juan Laporta is back in the big chair. And the vote was very symbolic because it kind of signalled the end currently of Sandro Rossellismo, Bartomeuismo, yes. potentially Nunoismo. Someone posted a very, very funny uh, GIF though. They posted a GIF to the T-1000, like the Terminator who basically is made of liquid mercury. And after he's been blown to pieces, he like slowly reconstitutes himself. <laughs> Someone posted a GIF going, Nunoismo is never quite dead. No. It's never quite, that ideology of like, you know, the more, I suppose, like uh, conservative and it, it, it's still there and in the background and it, you could argue it's responsible for a lot of Barcelona's current ills. That and kind it of is. The, and, the, and the board being at odds with the, yeah, the, let me not be sort of BBC two sides about this. No. The board being at odds with what's happening on the field and the sporting side, sorry, the financial sorry, side. Sorry to yeah. interrupt you. Yeah. The Barcelona board hired a company, paid them in smaller amounts so that it didn't have to be voted on by the members, deliberately deceived the socios, paid a company that was registered on like some random caravan park somewhere. So weird. To take out social media campaigns against the players. It's so weird. Against their own players and club legends. Sorry, like, what are you doing? The great thing about Juan Laporta is like coming back at Barcelona is that I think he's the only president in like the last few who hasn't been arrested and put in jail. Right, it's wild. So for Barca, they've leveled up a little bit. I know the bar was very low, but... And he cares about the sporting side. This is the thing. He actually cares about the sporting side. Yeah, I think for now he's the right president. Yeah, yeah. My personal preference would have been for Font. I think Font would have been brilliant for Barca. I think Font suffered a little bit from... He was probably the best candidate, but I don't think he was the most appealing in terms of not hugely charismatic, not hugely grandiose in terms of like uh, political gesturing or campaigning. But I think in terms of a long-term candidate, I think he was the best candidate for the job. I think the really, really encouraging thing for Barca is that he got more votes. Maybe he runs again. Maybe he runs again, who knows? Uh, well, potentially, or potentially I could see him being an ally of Laporta. 
the main thing for Barcelona, and I think a very symbolic thing, was that Tony Frexler got the fewest votes out of the three. Yeah, by distance, yeah. Because he was yeah. by far the most closely aligned to Nunoism and Bartomeu and all of this. Like, he was Bartomeu's guy, and I think that him completely being out of the running was huge for Barcelona. And yeah. essentially signals like a new dawn for them, which they need. But I think... Barcelona, can I just... Sorry, sorry go on. Aren't they an incredible club? That they're not just that they, they are, you know. Are you saying they're more than a club, Musa? Well, there's the voting, like the fact that you see Messi turning up. There's something very powerful about seeing yeah. one of the world's Puyol. greatest footballs of all time turning up with a, with a ballot. Yeah. It's really, I don't know, it's quite sort of, um, it reminds you that clubs are for the people. I, I, don't, I think it's quite a powerful message when you see that because so often you see clubs and they're just wholly owned by some organisation or some group of people basically draining the resources and to see people turning up and voting, there's something quite profound about that, I think. Like, it's almost like, this is what I, we want our future to be. And the fact that you see, you know, he could have done it, and Messi could have done a postal vote, but he made a point of turning up. Mm. These things are very uh, symbolic. And I, I don't know, the thing that I love about Barca is the way that players send messages in all these intriguing little ways. Mm. You know, they'll do an interview with that radio station and mm. it's like, that's, you know what I mean? There's, that's the station you speak to, or that's the newspaper you speak to. And it's all so careful and coordinated. I, to be honest, what's that Dwayne Wade thing? I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, but I mean, it goes back to what we were saying a while ago when we did that massive dissection of what was going on at Barca, I think after the Bayern result. Um, mm. We said that it doesn't need a huge rebuild, Barca. And I think that the talk of the huge rebuild is nowhere near as prominent as it was after the 8-2. Yeah. We said that at the time, like you didn't need a gigantic yeah. rebuild. You didn't need, like, the, there were pieces there and there were good young players coming through and you needed to manage Messi's transition a little bit more. And the thing that was great about Font and about Laporta is that they have both acknowledged managing Messi's transition into his latter years. And I do believe now that this, this is a, I think Messi will stay now. I don't think he'll leave personally. I think that, I think that maybe financially they need him to go in terms of freeing up space, but I don't believe that they will now. I think that they've, they ha- there have been signs this season of Barcelona transitioning into a new era on the pitch in a, in a positive way. And I think if you take Messi out of that, you add burden onto the young players before they need it. And I think, I having, I I think having him there is allowing Ricky Pooj, Pedri, Ansu Fati, all of these players, you know, Usman Dembele even to, to grow we underestimate how much Messi loves Barcelona as well. That's the yeah, thing a lot of people, not, not us, but you know, we can never know, but we forget that they're fans. Yeah. This is the thing. These are Barcelona, Pique and Messi. When Messi had that time off and he was watching like games with his sons, yeah. this is one of my fa- This is actually one of my, I think one of my favorite eras of Messi is like Messi being a dad. Mm. I just love seeing that. But yeah, so exciting times for Barca. Yep. Um, as, Exciting times for Rangers, following Celtic's draw with Dundee on the weekend, have won the top flight for the first time in 10 years. Shout out to Gerard, who has done a great job for Rangers in a defensive sense. And um, I can't remember who tweeted, they were saying that actually what an irony it would be if Gerard goes on and like has uh, this amazingly disciplined, defensively disciplined team that is the basis of all his future success. But like, he's just a, he's a good manager. Like he's a really good manager. And we don't know what his upper level is. But he's certainly done everything that could have been asked of him at Rangers. And the question I suppose now is, his market value is rising. So the question is, how much longer does he stay at Rangers? Because there is that moment, isn't there, Ryan, of like, when you build your name in a particular league and you don't necessarily see the league as your sort of long-term destination, no disrespect to Rangers, but 
I don't know if Rangers is his long-term destination. I think he'll see out his contract there, to be honest. I think he's in no rush. Right, right. You know? I, just, I just love that he took that job anyway. It was a great job. Great job to take. Yeah. Great time to take it. <sighs> I, think, I think the Brendan Rodgers leaving Celtic thing was extremely handy because Celtic haven't been the same since. Mm. That's not saying that Brendan Rodgers was in any way responsible for Gerrard winning the title with Rangers, but I do think that that allowed him to really come into his own a bit. And they were already kind of on the, on the up anyway. Yeah. Um, but the gap between them and Celtic this season is so gigantic. that I just think that, you know, obviously Neil Lennon left a few weeks ago. It's been a little bit chaotic over that, that part of town. But mm. yeah, huge props to Gerrard. It's encouraging, I think, for a number of leagues around Europe that have dominant sides as well. You know, it can be done. Yeah. You never yeah, know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Dominance doesn't last forever. And hopefully it will usher in a little bit more of a competitive era in Scotland, you know? Yeah. Shall we get out of here, Musa? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Let's hop along. Seeing as weather's lovely out. Yeah. yeah, yeah weather's well, lovely out. I might, might pop out for a walk. Yeah, you yeah. Can, well, you can bounce. Someone's got to edit. So, uh... <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> Don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football. Check the regular.com forward slash soccer. Make sure you check Righty's house this Wednesday. I'll be on with Righty this week. We've got a lot to cover. You do, my goodness. Uh, we're playing out this episode with Dark Arts, Kemia. Anything else you want to add, Musa? No, actually, um, when you played me this before, the Kemia track, I was like, this is actually really nice. It's kind of like mournful and meditative, which kind of fits the theme of some of the... There's a slight disappointment to some of the fixtures. You know, like uh, teams that have lost a um, after a period of winning a lot... Or teams had slightly disappointing results. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a perfect musical accompaniment to some of the big fixtures. Yeah, it's like Man City this fans, man. It's better to have won and lost than to have never won at all. Indeed. Just Ash Schalke. Although they did technically win one game, but still. Yeah, but still. <laughs> uh, stay well, everyone. Check Wright's house on Wednesday and we'll be back on Thursday. Take care. Thank you.
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.